0: The 5th, <that <says that's m unstoppable> In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Ever Merciful. Dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam Radio. I hope you had a pleasant morning. Um, my name is Shah Muneer Ahmed. The time is four past seven, and I'm joined here live with my brother and co-host Asam Hashmi. Asma Hashmi, may the peace and blessing of Allah be with you.
1: Aslam Alaikum, Peace be upon you How are you
0: doing? I'm doing very well uh, How are you? I'm good The uh, weather isn't good
1: today It is not indeed yeah.
0: It is raining 24 hours Not perhaps 24 hours But it is raining all the day As So dear listeners Make sure when you go out You wear accordingly clothes as well um, Asim, you know A rem- um, few weeks ago When we were talking about sports And um. I was saying that you know there are few sports which I consider as a hobby not a sport and someone proved me wrong about motorsports okay yes so, but still there was golf left as well okay and no one commented on about golf so I thought let's give golf a try okay let's see how golf basically is and uh, I really tried my best uh, I went there and uh, I got the golf ball and I tried to hit the ball it's not easy not the, first, <laughs> not the first time. So it is difficult. So yeah, um, to say that, uh, it is, it is fun. To be honest, it is fun as well. So yeah, I mean, uh, I would do, I would recommend you do that again, but still, it's still as I consider it as a hobby, not as a sport. But the listeners, this is what we do during the show. We will discuss certain things from the Islamic angle as well if you want to be a part of this show and you want to call in and you want to put in your thought or your input in, you can do so anytime. The number is 0208-687-7878 or you can go on our socials at Voice of Islam UK. And meanwhile, um, Asim, before um, we go to the news, which we usually do in the first 30 minutes, why don't you introduce our two segments which we will discuss today?
1: Absolutely. So the first segment is Islam um, Islam a source of peace. In this, we will have two pre recordings of uh, Dr. Craig Constantine and Reem Shariki, and then we will have Imam Tabim Abu Taka on call. And the second uh, segment is Is there a double standard? A journalist's reflection of, on war, allegiances, and perspective on Ukraine and Gaza. And we do have three callers for that: uh, Yusuf of Tab, Dr. Nas- Nas- Nasir Domun, and Tahrid El Khodari. So these are the two segments which we are going to discuss today.
0: Amazing. So, the listeners, as I said before already, these are the two topics. If you want to discuss these two topics, you can do so. But the first topic is very important: it's about Islam and the source of peace. What is your thought about Islam? Do you think Islam is the has the is providing the answer for all this crisis we see nowadays. Let me know your answer. It is very important that you share your answer with us as well. It's num- the number is o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or you're gonna go on our socials at words of some uk and leave a comment over there. So Asim, as I said, uh, we, what we do in the first 30 minutes, dear listeners, we go to the news, we discuss the news as well. And Asim, I've been like, I was going through the news as well, I was going to the papers and I saw the royal family there. Um, there's a very really sad news which we just heard a few days ago about uh, His Highness King Charles III who was suffering with cancer. But before we go to that, Asim, I've heard you have prepared some news for us as well.
1: Absolutely. So first, if we look at the weather, the news about the weather is that snow and ice are expected across parts of England, Scotland and Wales as the mild start to February comes to an end. And Two amber warnings for snow and ice will come into force from 8am for North Wales and North West uh, and from midday in the Peak District and South Pennines. The persistent and at times heavy snow in the areas covered by the amber warnings is expected to develop in the morning before easing later in the day. Between 10 to 15 centimetres of snow is forecast across both warning areas, with up to 25 centimetres possible on higher grounds. A travel disruption is expected, but the Met Office has said warning it was safer not to drive in these conditions. So this is some weather news too amber warnings for snow uh, for snow and ice. I mean to be
0: honest Asen, when I was driving towards the battle for two I could feel it. Like it's, it's very dangerous sometimes, you know? Yeah. And we shouldn't know what we should be you know, the thing is about driving is that you have a responsibility as Well, and while with this weather, while driving in this weather, you make sure that as Asim has said, take precautions as well and uh, don't overdo.
1: Yeah, absolutely, definitely. So, uh, another news is that world's first year long breach of key one and a half Celsius warning limit, and for the first time, global warming has exceeded one and a half Celsius across an entire year according to the EU's climate service. World leaders promised in 2015 to try to limit the long temperatures rise to 1.5 Celsius, which is seen as crucial to help avoid the most damaging impacts. The first year long breach does not break that landmark Paris Agreement, but it does bring the world closer to do so in the long term. Urgent action to cut carbon emissions can still, low, uh, can still slow warm, warming, scientists say. To go over the uh, warming on an annual average is significant, says Professor Liz Bentley, a chief executive of the Royal Meteorological Society. It's another step in the wrong direction, but we know what we got to do. A limiting long-term warm, warming to 1.5 Celsius above pre-industrial levels before humans start burning large amounts of fossil fuels has become a key symbol of international efforts to tackle climate change. Wow. I mean, you know, on Tuesday, on Tuesday, I don't know if you remember, but
0: we, I felt like we are already in March or April. It was, f- I think, 15 degree.
1: It was hot, yes.
0: It was I mean, I was surprised. that, Excuse me, if February should be cold, but exactly, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and this is very dangerous. I mean, uh, climate change is very dangerous, very harmful. We have seen uh, like uh, how many um, countries have suffered because of that. Pakistan Absolutely. countries who have nothing to do with climate change, to do uh, cl- countries who are basically tackling tackling climate change, they have suffered as well. And we have like what did we have? We have in Australia this prints as well, and it's very dangerous. I mean, climate yeah. change can kill. It's harmful.
1: Absolutely, they say it's ocean temperatures highest on record. So the previous record is 21 Celsius, which was on 23rd August, 2023. So even the ocean's highest temperatures has been seen from, uh, they have, um, records from 1979. So it was the highest, uh, Celsius. This was the news for the weather. Um, uh, According to that, another news is that Labour ditches twenty eight billion package green investment pledge. Labour is ditching its policy of spending twenty twenty eight billion a year on its green investment plan in major U turn. an official announcement will be made on Thursday, which is today. Sources insist the party's green prosperity plan, which includes a creating a publicly owned green power company. Is not being dropped altogether, but Labour will no longer commit to investing 28 billion a year in green energy projects if it wins the next election. Labour's position in the policy in recent weeks has been increasingly muddled, with some senior figures repeatedly refusing to use the 28 billion pounds figure when pressed in in interviews, while others, including party leader Sir Keir Starmer, continue to do so. It is expected Labour will argue that they have to focus on being seen as responsible stewards of their economy rather than committing to spending a pledge that opponents regard as reckless. The plan to spend £28 billion a year on green energy projects like offshore wind farms and developing electric vehicles first announced by Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves in September 2021. The pledge was voted down last June with the twenty eight billion pound target adjusted so that so that a Labour government would meet its about halfway through its first time rather than it in, in its first year. So another news that Labour has stitched the twenty eight billion pound green investment pledge if they are um they win the uh, the next election. Another news about election, uh, we can say that Pakistan election. Internet access cut off as controversial polls begin, says the BBC. Uh, Pakistan has temporarily suspended mobile services as millions head to the polls to vote in a new government. As interior minister spokesman said that the measures was warranted, citing recent incidents of terror in the country. The election comes almost two years since the previous prime minister, cricketer-turned-politician, Imran Khan, was out, ousted in a no-confidence vote. Three-time um, prime minister Nawaz Sharif is now on the ballot in what many analysts say is Pakistan's lead, least credible election yet. Both calls and data services has been suspended through Wi-Fi networks, still appears to be working. One uh voter told the BBC they were shocked at the decision saying voters should be f- facilitated instead of having to be met with such such hurdles. So this comes as two bomb blasts killed twenty-eight people in the rest of Blochistan province in Wednesday. And the country is therefore on high alert. With heavy security presence at polling stations across the country, one station in Lahore Lahore had armed guards at entrance and army officers roaming around the area. Thank you for that. Basically, you know why.
0: My surroundings, um, I have a l- lot of Pakistani people living in my surroundings, and they talk a lot about Pakistani news, and I have nothing to say, never anything to say. <laughs> now, listening to you, absolutely. <laughs> So much you share with them as well. They would be surprised that they will believe that someone has started watching all these Pakistani news channels, etc. But you know, uh be um about the election, of course there's uh, something um way really, uh, weird about the election as well. Uh in this sense that um we the Muslims are for example not allowed to vote as well or w I have is that may you have to say first. You have to denounce the promised Messiah, Islam, which you believe is the Messiah of the age. You have to denounce him before you are before you can basically vote, which is, I think, totally wrong. Because um I mean, in Islam, if you study the Holy Quran, dear listeners, it is mentioned in the Holy Quran that if you go, you, give your vote and give it to someone who you think, who you believe, can rule with justice. So, and if you, and even who is elected as a ruler he should rule with justice as well so here you see that if you want to have uh, if you want to rule with justice then you need to uh, consider or you need to respect every faith uh, and should allow everyone to live according to their faith you shouldn't force them anything to denounce or to disrespect anything this is against the teachings of Islam so this is what I'm saying this is mentioning that um, this is very strange and unfortunately sad as well um, that people um, who call themselves Muslims are basically not following the Islamic teaching. Uh, There's a huge lack to that as well. Thank you, awesome We'll come to sports in a few minutes. Um, Before we do so, um dear listeners, um, I was mentioning bef- uh, already before that if you open the papers, if you start reading the papers, the front lines, if in the front lines, you will see the royal family. Um. Many Thursday papers basically lead with Prince William's return to work for the first time since King Charles' cancer diagnosis and his wife Catherine's abdominal surgery. So, duty calls this is the front page of the Metro, Uh, and the paper says, awesome, Prince Harry has returned to the US after a 24 hour trip to the UK to meet his father while Prince William's step back into royal duty. This is what the Metro says. Now, if you go to The Sun, I'm not a big fan of The Sun, by the way. Uh, it's my personal opinion. But The Sun brands William as a top son with an image of the Prince of Wales alongside Top Gun actor Tom Cruise on his front page. Speaking at a fundraising event, William thanked the public for its kind messages. The paper says, Have you watched the movie Top Gun? I
1: don't think so.
0: Same. Same. I'm just saying that um, maybe we are old now. (laughs) Now, funny thing, uh, before we carry on, my nephew thinks that I'm like very old, like stone age old. And the reason is, no, it's very funny that because I don't know a few certain social media or YouTube celebrities. Okay. And and they know all of them, or probably all of them. It's
1: mostly. Probably because you're not too much on social media.
0: No, no, no. But you are quite. I'm active. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not uh, social media. I'm, I'm. I think I'm. I'm uh, not uh, from this age. Well, <laughs> anyhow, you. Um, I just you try to keep uh, catch uh, keep up with uh, all the newses, and um, you can see the Daily Mail reports that Prince William said the nation's well-wishes mean a great deal to us to us all. And uh, Prince, Meanwhile, Prince Harry flew back to California around lunchtime on Wednesday. Also, the mirror's leads with calls for Rishi Sunak to apologize after he joked about Labour's position on trans people. The Prime Minister made the comment when the mom of murdered teenage Brian, who was transgender, was in Parliament. The Mirror says... Sorry, Brianna's Brianna's father, Peter Spooner, was disgusted and called for an apology. Uh, You can see that uh, it is written very big on the paper, Shame on you. Uh, This is referred to Rishi Sunak and his comment. Um, And also some uh, conservative MPs rounded on Mr. Sunak for insensitivity over the apparently prepared attack line, the Guardian says. Also, on the front page, the paper reports the Conservative PM Michael Moan told the government she would not financially benefit from a deal with a PPE company five months before 29 million of its profits were transferred into a trust for her benefit. And the PM, uh, coming now to the Daily Telegraph, the PM must cut the bill for benefits and get more people working instead of relying on immigration to reduce Britain's debt, a senior official at the UK office for budget responsibility writes in the Telegram. The paper also reports that Sir Keir Starmer plans to formally abandon his 28 billion green investment pledge. A senior Labour source tells the paper the party is committed to borrowing to invest, but no longer stand by the figure of 28 billion. And the Daily Express says, Mr. Sunak has appeared to open the door for Boris Johnson's political comeback. Mr. Sunak revealed that he spoke to the ex-Prime Minister just a few months ago and left open the option of making use of Mr. Johnson's talents in future, the paper notes. I mean, he had talent in making, like, uh, being always on the front page.
1: Headlines, yeah. Headlines, and
0: it was quite enjoyable as well to see him as a Prime Minister, especially when uh, you saw the news and... um, But we know what he did as well during COVID as well especially I mean his talent is to go for parties or to organise parties this is what we know for sure but Asim, Um I mean Keith Thomas will be surprised as well we'll be happy because we have seen him and <laughs> Boris Johnson always there uh, and, and uh, I mean uh, let's see what he thinks about this I'm 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 surprised that he's bringing him back, anyways. But okay, let's see. I mean, uh, it's not the first. He's not the first prime minister, ex prime minister, he's bringing back. We have James Cameron back as well. So let's see uh, how this will work. Um. So this is uh, also very interesting. Um, an alleged Russian spy lied to gain asylum in Britain before going on to work for, for the Foreign Office and meet a future king, according to the Times. The paper says a refugee from Afghanistan who is accused of spying for Russia's military intelligence agency also worked at GCHQ and MI6. And uh, the Daily Stars warns, as a deadly monster storm will soon better, better which you already said. The paper says snow and icy conditions forecast for Thursday sparked an exodus to Benidorm. Benidorm. And the financial time. Uh, is reporting that Barat has cemented its position at the UK's largest housebuilder after the f- firm agreed to buy, buy rival Red Row in a deal worth $2.5 billion. Elsewhere, the paper reports that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected Hamas' condition for a hostage deal. Netanyahu warned accepting the terms would lead to another massacre. I mean, I was reading this yesterday, and I was hoping it will come to an agreement because they were basically going to force ceasefire, which is not mentioned in the paper. This deal was made by the Hamas, where all hostages from the Israeli side and, of course, from the um, Hamas side would be freed. I mean, this would be a great deal if they come to a conditions that they would at least sit on a table and would discuss all th- things. Um, peace. This is what we want. And the listeners, the eyelids is uh, about a study which found uh, dysfunction drugs like Viagra reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's by 80%. However, scientists are warning men against starting to take the drugs as a uh, precautionary measure. Dr. Liam Mursaline of Alzheimer's Research UK told the paper the study is encouraging but doesn't confirm whether drugs can slow or stop the disease. This is what the papers were, uh, basically what the headlines are of the paper. Asim, we had yesterday football, football, football. We had cricket as well. We had Africa Cup of Nations and the Asian Cups as well. Um, The final are set, I think for both tournament. We know, for example, that uh, Qatar and Jordan, if I know, Yeah, Jordan has made it in the final for the first time. And uh, Ivory Coast and Nigeria both will play in the finals as well. I mean, I'm a huge surprise for uh, Ivory Coast. I wasn't uh, expecting that, that they will make it in the final. But they they, they are. So, what is you? What's you think? Who's gonna win the African Cup of Nations,
1: Nigeria or because Big two, two big teams. It it is two big teams, and Nigeria actually won on penalties versus South Africa to go through. i actually very
0: side for South Africa. I was hoping for South Africa to win
1: it, but yeah, and he carry on. And, I mean, I haven't watched the matches, but uh, of course, uh, our ex Chelsea player, Didier Drogba, is from Ivory Coast, so I'm uh, for Ivory Coast this time
0: you for because ok yeah. alright alright Inacho is f- playing for Nigeria right so i um, for him even though he's like he played for Leicester so I like Leicester to be honest
1: um, so yeah why not uh, we do have uh, top class sh- uh, top class striker as well Victor Ozyman, uh who everyone is Ooh, after yeah. for this summer uh, Madrid might want him Chelsea might want him he wants to play in the Premier League so let's see and uh, what did we have yesterday? The FA Cup. We had uh, also before that we also had the Asian Cup.
0: Oh yeah, so yeah Asian yeah. Cup. So um, yeah.
1: s- that was the semi-finals: uh, Iran versus Qatar, and Qatar won 3-2. And as you said, that uh, Qatar and Jordan Jordan and I it against
0: it. South Korea.
1: Yeah, that's that will be interesting match. And also for the first time, I've I've saw actually a German manager managing a a, a African or was an yeah, Asian
0: team I mean uh, Jürgen Klinsmann exactly. who won the World Cup and the Europe Cup with Germany uh-huh. uh, who's trying to manage I mean he's managing he's, he's, he's in the critics because they have lost a lot of games before that and uh, I mean this is how he started like, you know, I remember when he became the manager of Germany he started in the same way but at least they came third and then he went to America, and now he is in. Uh, and he did good in America. Yeah. Yeah, he did very good in America yeah. for American standards. He did very well. Mm-hmm. So yes, uh, now he's in South Korea. He unfortunately couldn't win the World. I thought he did Asian Cup with South Korea. South Korea is waiting for almost like. Last time they won, I think it was 1960, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been a huge long time now. But FA Cup, Asim.
1: Oh yes, FA Cup, we had two matches yesterday. First was uh, Nottingham Forest versus Bristol City. It was 1-1 and then went on to penalties. And then Nottingham Forest won 5-3 on penalties. Uh, We had uh, Chelsea versus Aston Villa. Chelsea were losing a lot of matches but uh, which somehow which is very common no, for them isn't it sorry
0: which is very common
1: for them but which what <laughs> plays are they in
0: the uh, t- table
1: no comments uh, so <laughs> not in the first half <laughs> isn't it No, in the first half we are in the middle you know <laughs> so uh, they won 3-1 um, easily against Aston Villa Kalagasco Jackson who came back from the Africa uh, nations cup because they got eliminated. He scored and Fernandez scored a spectacular free kick. Uh, Diabe did score from Villa at in the last minute. Amazing. So we do have uh, Chelsea versus Leeds in the quarterfinals now.
0: Chelsea versus Leeds in the quarterfinals. Good luck to both of them. I'm gonna I'm going to be with that team who's going to win it. Dear listeners, um, we are going now for short break and after that we will come back with our first segment which is Islam, a source of peace please join us straight after this break uh, and of course yes, probably forgot to mention, as I said, you can be a part of the show as well, just call in any time, the number is 0208-687-7878 or you go on our social at Voice of Islam UK so uh, we're going now for a short break do me a favour, stay tuned with the voice on the radio and don't go anywhere
2: Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. Why does Islam propose a segregation of the sexes? The segregation of the sexes is meant to prevent the problems that are faced in society as a result of free intermixing between the sexes. So segregation of the sexes is prescribed so that the situations which cannot be controlled afterwards are not allowed to develop in the first place. In this way, erosion of moral values can be prevented and society is safeguarded from problems such as adultery, teenage pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases. This teaching is based on the fact that Islam recognizes that prevention is better than cure. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. Illness means the condition when the body does not function normally, and health is the condition when all natural matters function in the proper way. The moving away of a hand or foot or any other limb from its proper position causes pain. And if this condition persists for a time, not only the affected limb becomes useless, but it begins to affect other limbs also. The same is the case with the soul. When a person moves away from God, who is the true source of his life, and departs from the religion of nature, he is involved in suffering, and if his heart is not dead and retains its feeling, He feels the torment keenly. If this condition is not reformed, there is an apprehension that all spiritual faculties might gradually become useless and a severe torment might ensue. Thus no suffering comes from outside. All suffering is generated within a person.
3: For you, another very essential teaching is that you do not leave the Holy Qur'an like a book that has been forsaken, since therein lies your life. Those who honour this holy book shall be honoured in heaven. Those who will hold the Holy Qur'an superior to every tradition and every saying shall be given preference in heaven. For mankind spread over the surface of the earth now, there is no book except the Holy Qur'an. For the sons of man, there is no messenger and mediator except Muhammad. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So strive and cherish the purest love for this prophet of power and glory, giving no one else any kind of preference over him, so that you may be put down in heaven as those who have been saved. The root of everything good is taqwa. In whatever action this root is upheld, that action will never be devoid or futile. It is necessary too that you be tried by being thrown into diverse griefs and distresses as those before you were tried. Therefore be forewarned, lest you stumble when the time comes. The earth with everything in it can inflict no injury on you, provided your contact with heaven is firm. Whenever an injury comes to you, it will only come from your own hands. If all honour on this earth is lost to you, God will give you an honour in heaven that shall never wane. Therefore do not leave him, whatever you may have to go through. You are bound to be persecuted in diverse ways, and many of your hopes will be denied to you. But in such cases you should not grieve, for the Lord your God shall take you through trials to test whether or not you remain firm.
1: الشهاد <تصفيق>
2: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, you're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB.
0: Via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Break for Show on the Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Shahel Munir Ahmed. I'm joined here with Aslam Hashmi and dear listeners. Before we went to that short break, we were discussing about the news and uh, we also said that after the news, we will come straight to our first segment which is Islam, a source of peace and dear listeners, we see many, many crises in this world happening right now. My belief, and Asim, you will agree with me, is that Islam is all the answers. We know his holiness. May Allah his help, he has traveled around the globe. he has met many uh, politicians, he has spoken in many, many parliaments where he gave the message of peace from the Islamic teachings. For my belief, if that Islam is a source of peace, uh, let me know your answer. What do you think? Why do you think is Islam the source of peace? The number is o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Or you going on social at Voice Islam UK? I just repeat the number again: o two o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. And let me know your answer. Why do you think Islam is a source of peace? I would be happy to know that I can give you one answer, Asim, which is that Salaam, it's an attribute of Allah, isn't it?
1: Is it is, yes.
0: And it means the source of peace.
1: Definitely. So the gist of the story is that right from the word Salaam, as you just mentioned, which means peace, Islam is a religion of peace. So the moral values that form the foundation of the faith are peace, justice, and compassion towards all creatures of Allah. So we must regularly challenge through meaningful dialogues the misconceptions surrounding Islam and address why the notion of Muslim being synonymous with terrorism is far from the truth. I mean,
0: it is far from the truth, to be honest. Like you just said, Islam is the source of peace. Islam is an attribute of God. Exactly, So as a Muslim we are told to follow the attributes of god okay we were told to adopt these attributes as well now a muslim should be the source of peace himself as well for the society for the wider world as well now um as you said that islam is far away from terrorism islam has nothing to do with terrorism um we can say that Islam is based basically on peace. And the very simple way, I just want to give a very simple example, Asim, how he basically, um, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, how he established peace in a society, in a society where people were used to fight, where people were used to go for war. He said, when you meet to each other, yeah, when you go to the bazaar, to the market, when you meet each other, if you know him, doesn't matter if you know him or not. If you see a person, just say these simple words, alaikum May the peace and blessings be upon you, and the other person, you will think, okay, he's basically here to wish me peace, so I wish him peace as well, by replying, wa alaikum as-salam, and may the peace and blessing be with you as well. So here you see that, in a simple way, he basically changed the mind of the people. So why would you attack someone who's wishing you peace? You just realize he is there to help me, to give me that thing which is the most beautiful thing, which is peace, and this. This is how the Holy Prophet, peace upon him, used his wisdom and basically changed the society. Yes, if you look in this history of Arabia, you see that before Islam came, these people, they would start fighting for a single thing, by little things, would go for war by little, for little things. And in the end, when the Holy Prophet came, with this message of peace. Changed everything and it, he established peace in the society. I mean, awesome, it's such a huge thing we can discuss, uh, we can talk about, um, but and we will discuss this as, uh, as well. Uh, and we will carry this discussion now with our first guest who is with us online. His name is uh, Imam Tamim Abutaka, uh, who is a retired civil engineer, is now an MD Muslim scholar. Theologian, Imam, author, lecturer, poet, and regular panelist and debater on the MTA television. Sheikh Imam Abu Tamim Abu Dhaka, good morning. Assalamualaikum alaikum wa wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you and welcome to the breakfast show.
4: Wa alaikum asalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Good morning to you and to all of the audience. Jazakumullah.
0: Baakallah. Um, Shaykh, we were discussing about salam. Which is an attribute of Allah. Uh, I was uh, trying to explain that every Muslim should follow that attribute. Um, how did the Holy Prophet peace be upon him? How did he establish peace in his society?
4: Jazakumullah <laughs> uh, The Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him. When he started actually, he started to call the people to believe in Allah. To believe in God, the creator of the universe And to let the people know the attributes of of God And this is a vital issue regarding establishing peace You know, if we know our creator Who is uh, God Almighty Our creator is one and created us all To be brothers, to share one world To share one values To be uh, good for each other To... Uh, To be peaceful towards uh, each other This is the the divine plan which is uh, uh, Which is put by Allah and uh, send the prophets Mm -hmm. uh, To to uh, to uh, conduct uh, this plan and uh, to call the people to be part of this plan So the Holy Prophet uh, Peace and blessings be upon him. He started first actually to call the people to the God the only God the Mm -hmm. one God Mm -hmm. And to let the people know his attributes as he's the ever gracious, most merciful, and uh, He is the Lord of universes. And uh, also, he was conducting himself practically a very high level of serving the humanity. He was himself a server of humanity and uh, a servant of humanity, and uh, he was all the time. Uh, showing the people that uh, the the best person must be, uh, the best person uh, among the people, he should be the the best in serving the humanity. So in his call, uh, as the messenger of Allah, uh, and uh, in his practice, he was calling the people first uh, for uh, the, the, the main pillars which can establish peace. So if we don't know really, actually, if we don't know... Allah, the Creator, God, the Creator. If we don't know uh, the divine plan, the God's attributes, which we should imitate and we should uh, follow and we should practice uh, uh, in imitating uh, God um, by behaving, I mean, or by uh, uh, dealing with each other, then we will not reach to peace. So peace in the uh, Islamic perspective is a, a result it is not something which you can just take it and separate. It. Peace can be achieved by justice. And justice is not enough also in the in the perspective of Islam to acquire peace because very simply the two parties or the parties who are, are having a conflict they might have different perspectives regarding the justice. Mm-hmm. Everybody would say, Okay, this is my right and the other would say, My right. So mm-hmm. Islam is asking us to give concessions, mm. which is called as charity, which means we are not dealing with people based on just the pure justice, uh, which is, as a, uh, which is uh, debatable between the, the two parties. We should do the concessions and be uh, doing charity and goodness to, uh, to others. And Islam also is elevating this to a very high level of a charity. Which is called in Quran, Ita'uj mm-hmm. al-Qurba in Arabic, which means you are providing the people as you are providing to your kinders, your close relatives. So, by this way, actually, you reach to a level, then you will not uh, have any arrogance or any uh, um, feeling that you are doing something uh, that you, you deserve gratitude because of you are doing it. You are just doing it like uh, spontaneously as part of your nature. So Islam is asking us not only to provide justice, as, as, as we said, but to, be, uh, to, to do goodness and to, go, to do goodness without any vested interests, without any uh, sort of uh, feeling that we deserve gratitude because we are uh, doing this uh, goodness. And this is actually a very, very amazing theory which was established in Islam and uh, which was practiced by the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi upon him, and his companions uh, everybody is speaking about peace 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 mm-hmm. peace and we want peace but actually they don't have the uh, the, the plan and they don't have the uh, the the way how to achieve mm-hmm. peace and this is this is actually a very unique point of uh, Islam so, in the Holy Quran, Allah said, uh, actually, Islam is asking us, or this is the summary of the Islamic teachings, to do justice, and to be, uh, to do charity to, to, do, to the mankind, and to do charity as you are doing to your kinders or to your close relatives. And this is the summary. It is an amazing old uh, verse in the Holy Quran that Allah say, uh, says, which means these are the, the the teachings of islam are summarized and are categorized this way and uh, all of the uh, uh, subordinate uh, uh, teachings are just full in these main uh, main teachings which are the establishing justice as we said mm-hmm. and then uh, being charity uh, Doing charity And uh, doing uh, the charity As you are doing to the kinders Without any vested interests, And without even a feeling of uh, Of greatness Or feeling large of ourselves And without uh, Requiring And uh, thinking of uh, Having a gratitude from others Because we are doing uh, this uh, And uh, by this way Peace can be achieved So this is the Islamic perspective
1: very interesting points which you have just mentioned. And My question is that, um, as we all know, there is need for justice in society. But how does Islam address justice and what steps can individuals, especially the governments, take to address these systematic inequalities?
4: Yes, actually regarding justice, uh, uh, and if uh, everybody, I mean, uh, think as Islam is asking us to think regarding, I mean, the governments and in personal level and regarding the political and the government's level. If they think this way, then they can really establish peace. Because according to the theory, which is the non-Islamic theory, or the theory which is of the West now, for example, or for everybody except Muslims, they think we can establish peace only by destroying our enemy or eliminate him to end his threat. They think, okay, if I want to gain peace, that means I I should eliminate and destroy anybody who is uh, a threat to to me. Uh, Or if I I can eliminate him totally, that would be much better. Otherwise, if I'm not able to do that, I should keep him all the time weak and under endless uh, oppression. And uh, by this, they think they can establish peace. While the Islamic theory of uh, security and peace is saying that you should gain or you must gain your enemy and make him as your close friend. And you should provide him justice and charity and optimum charity, as we said, to enable him to enjoy his full rights. And by this way, we can sustain security. And that would be the, uh, the, the result of, uh, of our goodness and good acts. So see the difference between the Islamic theory mm. regarding security and peace and the other security, which is the security of everybody in the world, which means, okay, we have all the time we need to, to make our enemies or to keep our enemies very weak or to eliminate them mm. completely. So because of that, some people thought about genocide, about destroying or killing everybody. Uh, from our adversaries or our uh, uh, what they think uh, our enemies, and they said by this way actually we can uh, we can gain peace. And if you notice, by the way, if everybody notice how um, the the politicians like in US and especially actually you can see very 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 clear uh, by the Israeli politicians actually they are just speaking about this. They say they want to destroy, for example, Gaza. We want uh, to drive the people out of Gaza. We want to kill everybody in Gaza because these people are uh, a threat uh, for the Israelis. This is is what they they say. They say also, uh, uh, actually, uh, we we shouldn't allow for a Palestinian state uh, from the river to the sea because by this way, if there is a Palestinian state, and uh, uh, that will be uh, a threat against Israel and uh, we cannot live with peace while actually if they gave the Palestinians their right made them enjoy their rights by this way actually they can gain peace they cannot destroy, they cannot kill everybody of the Palestinians, even if they can kill as much as they can in Palestine the uh, the Arabs are around them, the Muslims are (laughs) a big world of Muslims is there, and Let's say eliminating the, the the enemy and destroying the enemy to establish peace. Actually, this is irrational. This is uh, inhumane, uh, and this is prevarice, by the way. While Islam is putting it in a very nice way, which means if you want to establish peace, if you want to uh, avoid or if you want to end the threats of your enemies, you should deal them with them with goodness, and by this way you will gain them as very close friends. And by this, if you make them your brothers, if you make them your friends, then you'll have peace for yourself and for the others. And uh, um, uh,
0: you just talked about uh, justice, you talked about oppression uh, with the oppressed communities, you talked about genocide. Um, uh, For justice and to maintain peace, uh, what, is, what would you advise leaders uh, to do to advocate, uh, to advocate justice and support uh, oppressed communities like, uh, let's say, Palestine, uh, like Gaza, from the Islamic perspective?
4: Actually, if they don't believe in the Islamic perspective, if they don't know this is really actually... If, yeah, that doesn't mean they need to be Muslims mm. to know this is really a very great theory and uh, which is proven by history uh, it is the best theory uh, to uh, establish peace by the way actually there are in limited um, uh, measurements they have done this and that caused actually for them even for the west very good and nice results for example after the first world war the uh, western people they decided to uh, oppress the uh, defeated nations, like Germany. Mm. And they oppressed Germany in a very brutal way and they humiliated Germany. And that was the main cause for the Second World War. But what happened after that, actually? After the Second World War, actually they didn't decide to do, to repeat their mistake, uh, which was at uh, the First World War. So they uh, let Germany and uh, Japan they to to develop uh, their their life uh, nicely they became their allies later and they are now part of their uh, alliance uh, and uh, that uh, ended for um, let's say for, for them the threat of the germans and the threat of the japanese which means that proves the islamic theory even if they had taken it uh, uh, based on uh, we can say not not based on religion but uh, based on uh, uh, maybe general thoughts or something like that, or uh, in a pragmatic way. But that proves it works, and it works very nicely. But unfortunately, actually, they are not doing the same with the Arab and the Muslim nations. If we hear repeatedly, for example, from the UN uh, administrations since tens of years the UN administrations were always saying if there is no israel in the in the, the area we have to establish israel because establishing israel is very important for the national security of the united states oh god why is that they said uh, let's see. in short we have to have a state there which is superior to the uh, arabs and uh, muslim countries especially in military power because this will keep the Muslim nations very weak, and by this we can have our the, the other resources, natural resources, flow to uh, to United States, and that will stop these nations to develop and to be superpower in the world. So, what's the problem? By the way, why you want to stop the Muslim nations and the Arab nations to be superpower? They became mm-hmm. a superpower, and they became your friends and um, both of you are willing to establish peace in the world and to have good uh, relations between each other, that would be actually heaven for everybody. So why you think we cannot live without oppression, without uh, destroying our adversaries, our rivals? If you gain your rival, if you develop your, uh, your rival, if you do charity to your rival, then he will turn to become your friend. So subhanallah, let's say an Islam, actually this theory it might be alone if it, it was portrayed and understood by the political, uh, the political uh, leaders or political parties, or if it became part of uh, the ideology, the political ideology on the West, actually it will remove the conflicts in the world and it will establish peace in the, uh, in the world. I understand that.
0: I mean, I uh, mean, there's actually so much we can discuss about this as well. But I really appreciate your time and your thought about this as well. Um, thank you for joining, and uh, it was wonderful, wonderful speaking to you. I just can't wait to have you again on the yes, breakfast show. Sure. Uh, thank you again, and uh, have a wonderful day ahead. May the peace and blessing follow me with you.
4: Jaza, thank you very much, and uh, good morning again for thank everybody. You. Good morning to you. JazakAllah. Well. Thank.
0: You, listen, you just listened to Tamim Abu Imam Tamim Abu basically from Jordan. Interestingly, you know, he spoke about justice a lot. Uh, he spoke about this, uh, is basically needed, uh, which it's a huge lack, we can say, in this day and age, in this world, that we do live in an injustice world. And he spoke from the Islamic perspective, only from the Islamic perspective. And he spoke um, about the war. Uh which are happening and uh he said it made a very bit of a point he said that to destroy the enemy is the only way to maintain peace so basically what well, we see if these people who are basically let's say destroying their enemies yeah enemies in brackets um they are killing innocent people innocent children which is basically has nothing to do with, uh, with war anymore. It is uh, It is just uh, crimes which are happening and Islam has spoken about this and Islam has told I mean the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he made it clear that it shouldn't be any collateral damage. A war should be between the, uh, the army and that's it. No innocent person who has nothing to do with the war no woman no elderly person no children should be involved into that and shouldn't be killed. So this is what the Holy Prophet peace be upon him said and uh, this is you know, this is how he basically um, uh, end the conflict um. And uh, we we should be very strict to that as well. Um, uh, we should promote peace. Um, for example, um, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. I mean, he made it very clear, isn't it? Absolutely,
1: definitely, he made it very very clear.
0: That I mean, there's this saying of the Holy Prophet that do not kill any old person any child or any woman which is reported in Abu Daud and I, I mean this is you know again this is the Islamic principle uh, about peace uh, in during wars where he he basically said that we should you should protect non-combatants in conflict uh, and uh, also that uh, the, uh, the Holy Prophet peace upon him and this is so important the Holy Prophet peace upon him listen, has said the strongest among you is the one who controls his anger Awesome. I mean uh, look at this this is something
1: you know You, you something you, uh, Islam teaches you about discipline as well isn't it absolutely definitely I mean it, it's not easy to control the anger but mm. it is must and as you mentioned you know that uh, teachings say do not call, kill any old person or any child or any woman and that's exactly the opposite of what we see in this war uh,
0: I mean this is i was saying this is the injustice we see in this world and Asim while uh Abu Tamim has spoken about justice as well why shouldn't we cover this as well so dear listeners we are clo- coming close to the hours but after that we will carry on with the segment including justice as well the need for justice especially Asim, in this day and age and I'm happy to have you with me because you're going to explain us what we can do from the Islamic perspective so dear listeners uh, it is going to be very interesting. Just do me a favor. Stay in with the Voice of Some Radio, and we will be back after the short news break. <laughs>
1: Shadow
0: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam Radio. The time is 6 past 8, and uh, we are still in the first segment, uh, Asim. And uh, we were talking about Islam, we talk talking about peace, why Islam is the solution of everything, and we had Cheikh Imam Abu Daka talked about justice and he gave one this is one solution we have is justice to maintain justice islam spoke about justice and him before i come to you to highlight this point a bit more i would just want to go to my listeners to our listeners by saying that if you want to be a part of the show if you want to say something or if you want to give you thought why islam is a source of peace and why islam can and all of these crises. You can call in any time. The number is 208 or you can go on our socials at voiceofislamuk. So justice, awesome. I mean, justice is something we need because we live in an injustice world.
1: Absolutely. So Islam advocates for fairness in justice, in legal proceedings. So the Quran instructs that all you who believed be persistently standing firm in justice. Witnesses for Allah, even if if it be against yourself or parents and relatives, that was uh from the Quran. So emphasizing the importance of impartiality in justice, uh, which is that, uh, you know, Islam teaches.
0: We see also that we talk about justice, right? And uh, you said that we should, uh, you may be gave a very beautiful verse of the Holy Quran. We see nowadays that, um, we don't see any. Only few world leaders who are basically raising their voice for Palestine, and uh, this is what I'm saying. This is this is the injustice we see. For example, in the Eurovision Song Contest in Sweden, they said that Israel shouldn't be allowed to be taken part because this is because of the war crimes they have committed, and. They're also um, pointing out to the double standard we see that Russia was not allowed to do uh, take part, Belarus was not allowed to take part when they committed war crimes, but Israel is now committing war crimes, but no one is taking, talking about it. No one is taking any just, uh, actions. Why is the injustice we see so much from the world leaders?
1: Absolutely, definitely.
0: So, what? Uh, for example, he said um, the importance uh, of supporting those who are oppressed. He said, like, for example, help your brother um where, whether he is an oppressor or he is an oppressed one and when he asked how to help the oppressor the Holy prophet peace be upon him he replied by preventing him from oppressing others I mean this you see in this saying the duty to stand against oppression and to show basically just and you you see Asim, that you the prophet has basically said do not take sides of anyone but be uh helping both of them uh and uh, even if you know you know if you talk about human uh, dignity, about uh, 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 human rights, I mean, even there, Quran has spoken about it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. The yeah, Quran has spoken a lot of about uh, all these different things, you know, which... Um, um, just, just like human dignity, you know? Yes. So the dignity of every human being is a fundamental concept of, uh, in Islam. So the Quran states, and we have certainly... Uh, dignify the children of adam which includes the right to live in peace and security so this is such a basic point which if people just understand um uh, you know we we can live in a peaceful society um the concept of of the ummah in islam you know creates a sense of global uh, brotherhood among muslims so, urging them to be concerned about the welfare of all, especially those who are suffering or are oppressed, irrespective of uh, geof- geographical boundaries. So, it doesn't matter what race or whatever it is. We, we are all brothers, and Islam helps us to k- create, you know, the brotherhood amongst Muslims and not just Muslims, but uh, all nations. Indeed,
0: it is an awesome. Um, d- you have made a very good point, and if uh, you will continue with this point, awesome. But before we do so, we have one pre recording to play as well, which is with an interview with um, Reem Shraiki, Mrs. Reem Shraiki. So do me a favor, um, stay tuned with the Wasson Islam Radio and do enjoy the pre recording as well.
5: So, my first question is what are some common misconceptions about Islam and Muslims that you encounter frequently? And then what effective strategies can Muslims use to um, respond to these negative stereotypes and perceptions? Mm-hmm.
6: Um, common misconceptions about Islam include associating the entire religion with the actions of a, few, of a few extremists, misunderstanding the concept of jihad as violence and that Muslim women are oppressed. So these stereotypes misrepresent Islam as Islam is a religion that promotes peace tolerance and condemns terrorism and jihad in its true sense refers to a spiritual struggle of self-improvement and islam moreover is the champion of women's rights it gave them the right which women in the west just got 100 or 150 days ago such as the right of education work divorce inheritance etc so it's, it's essential to separate the actions of individuals from the broader teachings of Islam and we should as Muslims introduce the wonderful teachings of Islam on all platforms and that Islam and the Holy Prophet are the champions of women and the champions of peace. We must also talk about the wonderful example of the Holy Prophet of Islam peace and the blessings of Allah be upon him as a father, husband, leader, brother, friend, neighbor, etc., we must also present our good example and our actions must be consistent with the teachings of Islam. And uh, you know, Muslims should also participate in interfaith events. Moreover, collaboration on community projects can help uh, break down misconceptions and we should encourage local initiatives uh, that promote understanding. And I think social media can also be powerful um to share authentic narratives and correct information about Islam so we should uh, as well emphasize on our common values with others and continuously try to build the bridges with them
5: great so given the urgency for world peace what practical steps can international organizations take to foster greater understanding and cooperation um, among diverse cultures and nations
6: well, to be honest, I'm not that expert in this field, but I think international organizations can maybe promote understanding and cooperation by facilitating cultural exchange programs, organizing diplomatic dialogues, supporting educational initi- initiatives, and fostering uh, collaborative projects that address global challenges. Additionally, we, uh, I think prom- they have to promote inclusivity Uh, respecting diverse perspectives and creating platforms to open communication can also contribute Mm -hmm. to build uh, stronger international relationships.
5: Great. So, um, you know, children are often among the most vulnerable members of society and they're greatly affected by conflict. So how does Islam protect and advocate for children's well-being, including those who are affected by conflict and um, displacement? That,
6: you know, Islam places a strong emphasis on, on the protection and well-being of children. The Holy Quran encourages compassion and care for orphans, highlighting their valuable status. And Islamic teachings emphasize the importance of providing for children's basic needs, including education, health care, and emotional support. And in times of conflict, Islam advocates for the protection of civilians, including children, and condemns any form of harm to them. So children who are affected by conflicts should be provided with a humanitarian aid and must be protected by every possible means.
5: So according to the teachings of Islam, what can nations and international organizations do to immediately help these children impacted by war?
6: You know, in Islam, there is a strong emphasis on charity and helping those in need. So nations and international organizations can provide humanitarian aid, as I mentioned earlier, medical assistance and support educational initiatives to alleviate the suffering of children affected by war And this is in accordance to the principles of compassion and justice of
5: Islam. Amazing.
0: Well, thank you so much. Shazakallah. In the name of the most gracious and merciful listeners, you just listened to an interview with um, Mrs. Jim Shariki. Uh, Awesome. mutual understanding, um, establishing peace, this is everything we need uh, f- f- for world peace. Uh, this is what we basically desire as well. And Islam has spoken about this so many times. Um, even I mean, even the Holy Quran encouraged uh, to ha- have mutual understanding and to respect people from different faiths.
1: Absolutely. So the Quran encourages understanding and respect among people of different faiths. So it says in the Quran, O mankind, indeed we have created you from male and female, and made you peoples of, and tribes that you may know one another. So this verse advocates for mutual respect and understanding as a foundation for peace.
0: And listen, even you know, um, for nowadays, for this day and age, we see crisis. We see uh, Islam has forbidden aggression and for an unjust warfare. Yes, Islam says, "And fight in the way of Allah." For those who fight you, but do not transgress indeed Allah does not like transgressors. I mean this um you see in this verse basically explain what justice basically is and that you should not exceed the limit and that you should not cross the limit. Um dear listeners um there's so much we can discuss about this and uh to dis uh to continue on this discussion we have another pre-recording prepared with you with um Prof- Dr Professor Craig Constantine uh, this is the at least 12 minute interv- uh, interview Just do me a favor do listen to the interview because it's very helpful and after the interview we will be back so do enjoy
7: the interview In the name of Allah, the most gracious and merciful dear listeners, I'm actually very delighted to have with me Dr. Craig Michael Considine, who is an American author, scholar and faculty member of the Department of Psych- Psychology at Rice University and he has written six books for the field of Islamic studies and is recognized as an authority in interfaith dialogue and Christian-Muslim relations. And also, to he had the opportunity to meet his holiness, as a Muslim Muslim, many times, and even his holiness has mentioned him a few times in his Farih seminar as well. So, Dr. Craig Constantine... Good morning. Assalamu alaikum to make May the peace of be blessing of Allah be with you and welcome to the Bekfa Show.
8: Greetings of peace. It's very good to be here.
7: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've seen your post on Twitter. I've seen your written books in the God of Salih as well. May uh, be the peace of thing of Allah be with him. Nowadays, what we see is that he is considered as a warlord and he's sad that right of what is happening in this world, all those crises we see, it is a
8: fault of Islam and it is a fault of his teaching. Do you agree with that? No, I think that is a very crude and selective way of looking at Prophet Muhammad's life. You Uh know, quite recently on the campus of Rice University, I was having a conversation, a discussion with other uh, scholars, and we were talking about like the amount of hours and days that Muhammad actually engaged in, in some type of conflict. And it was very small in the grand scheme of things. I mean, most of his, uh, his adult years and, you know, the, the, the post uh, six ten years when the, the revelations begin, it was largely peaceful outside of the documented battles that we had. Mm -hmm. so and and even the battles weren't huge either so like just from a a factual perspective uh, just to say that the term warlord captures his life and legacy is just it's just not accurate Mm -hmm.
7: and and about his teaching like if we look now we see this crisis especially in the middle east now people will say oh look again it's all like all muslims fighting against each other if we look at the message he had Do you think his message can challenge the
8: issues we see nowadays? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, I've written two books on this. Uh So many principles that he demonstrated in his life are applicable to building proper bonds between different groups and different communities. And I like to use the example of the christians of Nudron, towards the mm-hmm. end of his life around 631 or 632 uh, he is announcing to the region that he is emerging as a leader and he welcomes this small delegation of christians not really small it was like maybe 60 or so and they hosted he hosts them for for 3 days and i always tell you know students and audiences that the fact that it lasted for three days shows that Muhammad cared a great deal about hospitality and even something as uh, simple, but profound as hospitality. Um, I mean, this needs to be incorporated into our daily lives to be hospitable people to, uh-huh. to strangers, to, to guests and to potentially even engaging in hospitality at some point with, with enemies or, you know, people who are on the opposite side of the spectrum. So, I mean, that's just one example of, of, of his legacy. And, um, really he lived an extraordinary life. Uh, he wasn't just a a prophet to me, but he really, in, in some ways, he, indeed, he was a revolutionary in terms of really changing society. And thankfully he changed it for the better during uh, the seventh century.
5: Uh,
7: and, and, Doctor, you just mentioned, like, one aspect, hospitality. He showed towards neighbors, towards strangers, and enemies as well. Um, because uh, if I'm trying to focus also on these guys we see today. Um, do you think that, he, in your perspective, what positive impact does Islam bring to humanity, especially in promoting peace and understanding?
8: Well, let's look at the Constitution of Medina. Mm-hmm. Right so we're looking mm-hmm. at around the year 622 and Muhammad essentially creates what I've defined in my own work as a civic nation. So he defined the identity of the ummah, the community that he was leading as really egalitarian, open and open to diversity. You didn't need to be an Arab, you didn't need to be Muslim you didn't need to be anything outside of agreeing to the principles of the pact. Right? So it's, right. it's a super, it's a, it's a, it's a super type of national identity where anyone can really belong in it, but you have to believe in the, in the principles of it. And if you look at the principles of it, it was, you know, freedom of religion, the right to own private property, the freedom of conscience all things that are critically important. And this is what we need around the world today. You know, we see a slide to authoritarianism and dictatorships across the world. Many Uh studies have have proven this and we need more uh, societies rooted in this idea that what unites us as nations is not the color of our skin, not what we believe in terms of religion, but being part of a larger democratic political project. And that's what Muhammad did in 622. Mm, no, it's amazing. Um, you know,
7: um, uh, Dr. Craig, because um, I belong from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and I know you know a lot of uh, members from this community as well. I just mentioned you met his holiness as well. And especially his holiness, he has traveled like, to many countries. He went also to, the, uh, to America and Capitol Hill where he addressed everyone um, and gave basically, um, advices from the Islamic teachings, how to maintain peace. Uh, And if you see the current global crisis, do you believe believe the message he is giving is is the key to fostering world peace? And do you think it is different from the message of Tali Prophet
8: ﷺ? So I must say, His Holiness has really been a champion uh, over the years in, in terms of interfaith dialogue. And this is critically important to solving the issue. And it's also fitting right in line with the prophet Muhammad's example. And that links up right with what we were talking about previously with the Christians of Nudrum, right? We know that he entered a a dialogue with them, but the example that uh, his holiness is creating, and it's kind of spreading throughout not only the Emidea Muslim community, but really uh, a diverse range of communities. And, Okay. This emphasis on interfaith and and community building, right? So like building diverse uh, communities and coalitions. You know, I've worked with the MDA community so many times over the years, and I've seen for myself how engaged they are with other groups in their societies. So they walk the walk, they but they and they talk the talk, but they're doing the hard work of actually creating real and authentic friendships. And this requires, you know, organizing, hosting people, being guests and really using the public sphere uh, as a, as a means to engage and coordinate with other groups of people. And that's really the solution. I mean, that's, that's what we need. Uh, we don't merely need to tolerate one another. That's obviously important, oh. but it's the pluralism. It's it's the energetic engagement with Religious diversity that will lead us to like the promised land. It will lead to more peace and his holiness in the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, community for me is one of the world uh, the one world's best examples of Engaging in this type of critically important work of pluralism. Well, thank you for these words uh, uh,
7: Dr Craig Constantine um, it's actually a real honor to hear that from you uh, because you are someone, you know. I've seen, as I said, um, I'm following you on social media as well. And sometimes it's very strange for me to see that a non Muslim in this day and age is trying to defend uh, the character of the Ali And where, where did you get all these resources? Because we got also those non Muslims who basically are against it's the Ali the blessing of Yeah. I mean, I don't know from where. Where do they get their resources, and from where did you get your
8: resources? So, you know, when I first started on this journey of engaging with interfaith and Islamic studies, I actually didn't really start with a particular focus on Prophet Muhammad. My interest in his life and in, in his biography started in 2013 I was living in Dublin Ireland I was a PhD student uh, at Trinity College Dublin and I came across a book called the covenants of the Prophet Muhammad with the Christians of his time by dr. John Andrew Morrow and Mm -hmm. dr. Morrow who's Canadian by the way and dr. Morrow um, brought to my attention the covenants that he uh, agreed to with the Christians uh, around the Arabian Peninsula and beyond. And when I read the message of the covenants, I said to myself and thought to myself that this is the medicine that the world needs to cure itself from extremism. you got to remember, too, this was 2013, and there was a lot of uh, reports of ISIS, uh, you know, destroying buildings and all these things. And, And the covenants actually say the opposite. It says that Muslims are actually commanded to protect the churches. So it started with that book, really. That's what sparked my interest. And then I just kept reading, I don't know how many biographies of Muhammad I've read, but, uh, you know, probably two, probably two dozen. And I, I think this is important work, especially kind of post nine 11 environment because Christian Muslim relations, uh, are, are in need of, uh, improvement. Uh, but I also think Muhammad is wrongly and unjustly attacked. Um, and I think upholding his honor is a way of improving relations between you know, the West and Islam, uh, Christians, mm-hmm. Muslims, whatever you might want to call it. And then lastly, if I can add real quick, the reason why I mean these aren't these are the two lesser of the important reasons, and the the main reason why I uphold his honor, is because of his principles, the principles that he lived his life by. We talked about hospitality earlier as Uh one, but those are the principles that I want to live by. And this is why I support the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. It's not because of any uh, theological agreement, though that's an interesting conversation too, but it's more because of the principles of the community and how the community acts and behaves. Uh, and th- these are the type of people I want to work with um, because we're like-minded. True. Wow, it's amazing.
7: Again, um, it's all, all really amazing listening to you. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview, to be honest. And I would carry on the interview as well, but of course, because of the time, uh, we need to finish. But before um, we go, I just want to say thank you that you joined uh, today as well. You gave uh, you time to break for sure as well, and. I just can't wait to have you again on a virtual Sunday. Thank you for joining and Thank
4: you for all your thought as well. May the peace and, and blessing of Allah be with you. Thank you.
8: Thank you so much, and God bless Thank you. you. Thank you.
0: In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, of the listeners, you just listened in an interview with the great Professor Dr. Craig Constantine. And um, awesome. he is a great personality who spoke very well about the community, and he said in the end that, we are right-minded like we have the same ma- mind uh, working together we work together with different faith as well where we try we have interfaith uh events as well uh and this diversity we see right not only in the community of the media but with other people we work together it's amazing and this is the thing we need as well you know the holy prophet peace mm-hmm. of honor you remember the, the, the saying that uh arab has no superiority over non-arab a white it's not su- uh, superior to one black, so is black no superior one has no superior one, uh, white person. This is the thing we are following, the listeners. And uh, in the end, um, before we end this first segment, uh, the listeners, um, one thing I want to give you before we go is that, um, Allah, the God the Almighty, has promoted peace in the Holy Quran many, many times, and he said that, uh, Allah commands you. To to make over oh, the a trust f- to those entitled to them and that when you judge between men, you judge with justice and truly excellent is that which Allah admonishes you. Allah is all hearing, all seeing and he you see that if you see, if you are a ruler, be just, show justice to people as well, and maintain justice in the society. As Greg Quintana said good way we do is that we work together with different faiths as well. So we can we know each other as well. And we work together to maintain peace Coming now to our second segment, dear listeners, is, which is, is there a double standard, a journalist reflection on war, allegiance, and perspective on Ukraine and Gaza? For that, dear listeners, we have a Twitter poll, or let's say X poll, which says, what do you think could be the reason behind donation, aid, shortage in Gaza? Is it double standards, lack of donation, lack of funding, or lack of allegiance? Let me know your answer in the comments, or you can call in the number is 028-687-7878. The listeners, I'll be happy to listen to your answer, but before we carry on, awesome, but this is just gist of the story.
1: So, Syles, the gist is that a journalist from Gaza, Amir Arogi, became a correspondent after Russia attacked Ukraine. Initially supporting Ukraine, he felt there was a double standard due to Ukrainian support for Israel in Gaza conflict. As images of suffering in Gaza influenced opinions, some Ukrainians criticized their government and expressed solidarity with Palestinians.
0: Um, I mean, uh, this is what I just mentioned as well. Like, for example, in Sweden, the Eurovision Song Contest, which will happen in Sweden, they even said that we see this double standard. Russia was not allowed to take part because they started war on Ukraine, because of the war crimes they committed. Belarus was also um told not to take part because of the war crime. So you see these things apply to these countries. But, but if it comes to Israel, we see a different picture. This tumult than which sometimes is very difficult um to understand. And we talked about justice before, um already. So Assam like um like if we go b uh let's just briefly back to the war in Ukraine and the challenges they uh f- faced Uh, And the the support there, from from the uh, the international support, Uh, what was it?
1: So basically, um, there were different things. So Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, causing widespread international condemnation. And many countries and international organizations swiftly condemned Russia, providing various forms of support to Ukraine, including billions of dollars of monetary support. And then the conflict resulted in humanitarian crisis with uh, millions displaced with, within Ukraine Ukraine as, a, and as a refugees in neighborhood countries. And the global economies were impacted, uh, particularly through disruptions in energy supplies and agriculture exports from Ukraine.
0: Jesus, we will carry on with Asmashmi uh, with that point as well. But before we do so, we have our first guest of this segment online, which is Mr. Yusuf Aftab, who is the Humanity First UK Director for Disaster Relief and Fundraising. And he has also been with, uh, recently in a Um Yusuf Aftab, good morning. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace of blessings of Allah be with you. Well, and Allah welcome, you to, and the and the welcome to
9: the back pressure uh good
0: morning and thank you for having me Walak well, um yusuf um we have uh, just talked about uh, the double, double standard we see uh in uh, b- between Ukraine and Russia um i mean uh do you also do, do the challenges then differ from them as well like if we see this double standard from the the journalists and from the media as well um how do you compar- compar- compare them, uh, the challenges you see then?
9: Yeah, so, so let, let's just be clear on the outset. You know, for us as a humanitarian organization, you know, Humanity First is an international NGO, just like any other NGO, and there are key principles that all NGOs conform to. We're apolitical. Um, we, we, ba- we work on the basis of neutrality, impartiality, look at humanity, and we're independent to these political things that go on from so all disasters for us in terms of whether geopolitical man-made um disasters at the end of the day we're there to do a humanitarian job okay and humanity first has been operating for over 25 years now and and, and registered in over 60 countries Our and our mandate is to help and support so we we've also supported in uh, the ukraine crisis where we went out at um the border of uh, poland and ukraine and to be able to provide assist assistance to people there as well um that have been impacted and we're doing the same in terms of uh, the uh, crisis in gaza at the moment and the plight of um, the impact that you see in gaza obviously is you know far worse than in terms of what we're seeing but you know people are being displaced from both areas in in gaza the palestinians have been displaced multiple times within the. Own homes and um, the impact to them in terms of their health, um, shelter, um, in terms of accommodation, um, the provisions for food, the provision for children, education, etc., has been massively dented and impacted as they move from the north to the south.
1: Amazing. So, um, Yusuf, uh, given the complex humanitarian situation in Gaza, can you share specific challenges Humanity First has encountered and how has the organization adapted its uh, strategies to address these challenges? In comparison, how do these challenges differ from those uh, faced in regions affected by the conflict between uh, Ukraine and Russia? And also, what forms of international support did Ukraine receive during the war?
9: So look, um, any conflict that you go into there's, uh, and, and there's an ongoing crisis going on in terms of active conflict, there is always a risk to life, right, for humanitarians as well. So you have to do um, continued rapid assessments and, and the challenges are um, uh, quite rife right in the sense of um, access, security, safety. And these are considerations that any humanitarian NGO would have. You know including the UN and so forth so um, you know wh- wh- whether we were in Ukraine and so forth um, and in Poland we, we had the same assessment that we had to make in terms of teams that we needed to take and there we set up medical clinics and um, soup kitchens that went on for months and months and we worked alongside and coordinated efforts alongside other NGOs we were the first ones there providing services to people of Ukraine that were being impacted here in Gaza, in Palestine, we've been working for years, okay? So but your listeners may not know, but prior to this crisis occurring, we've been operating in, um, in Palestine, in the West Bank, and in, in the Gaza Strip uh, for many years, providing um, desalination units because the water is very salty there, it cannot be drunk. Um, so we've had units uh, provided there with our local partners, uh, Anera, who are American-based uh, NGO, Um, we've also been uh, um, supporting medical aid for Palestinians which is uh, providing uh, healthcare provisions Uh, we've been providing agricultural um, gardens and we've been providing um, university fees and sponsorships etc to to the people of Gaza in addition to that, whilst this crisis has been going on, uh, we were fortunate enough as one of the um, first independent NGOs and, and three of the NGOs uh, from UK. So UK Med is a government NGO, and and then you've got MAP who have been operating there for about at least 35-40 years. Uh, we were able to go in uh, probably about two and a half, three weeks ago, assess the situation in Gaza, and be able to help and support and provide provisions in terms of sanitation, um, hygiene packs for women, um, uh, st- sweets and um, uh, other food for the um, uh, the people there and children and then make an assessment on what further that we can do as, as, alongside the medical clinics that we're doing there with our partners in the area, alongside the blankets, um, uh, the winter clothing etc that we've sent via trucks from Jordan and Egypt inside and now we're looking at in terms of proper sheltered accommodation in terms of UN HCR spec tents to be able to get there and, and create a sort of tent village so that people can have the right provisions uh, to live, though they're not the best, you know, in terms of that, this temporary accommodation. What they need is a complete rehabilitation of society there.
1: That is amazing stuff, which we, which you are doing. Uh, regarding this, um, you know, about your recent pro- projects, could you highlight a specific initiative undertaken by Humanity First in Gaza or the West Bank, also, that has had a positive impact on the affected communities?
9: Yeah, so your question in regards to um, what we've currently done in Gaza and the projects that we've done there. Yes, Hello?
0: yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes.
9: Yeah, so the impact that we've had in terms of the provisions that we've been able to provide um, currently has been massive. Okay, but the unmet the need is huge. Um, you know, when you've got a displaced population in Rasta City, that could only accommodate a couple of hundred thousand, and now you've got over two million people there. You can imagine the situation, the sanitation situation is bad. there. The acute um, conditions of health are really bad, and deplorable, because you get acute respiratory infections, skin conditions, diarrhea, um, hepatitis A, and cases of cholera, um, you know, cases of CABs and other skin conditions occurring. And these are all occurring because the sanitation facilities are very bad there and um, and and you don't have proper toilets and and these type of things but so what we're trying to do alongside our partners is to provide the provisions that we can now access of food access of other items you would have seen coming to rafa and even the carl um crossing where people are from israel are, are trying to stop um you've got uh, things coming in that access is very difficult so where you would have seen 500 trips a week coming in you're only seeing maybe twenty to thirty trucks coming in or sometimes up to a hundred so you can imagine now the provision is just not enough to be able to do the things that you need to do and provide everything so so that's that's where we' are. but you know we're we're working hard with our partners in area and other partners and we're trying to get this ten city uh up and running but again you know it's all all dependent very much on the coordination of the access to the Israelis, the Egyptians, uh, and the de facto organisations.
0: Yusuf um, thank you for... Uh, uh, it is amazing, like, uh, the, the project you are doing with um, Amenity First, and, I mean, this is what the First stands for, and uh, to serve mankind, and I wish you all the best, and best luck for the future as well, uh, and thank you for joining again, and uh, I hope you have a pleasant day ahead. Yeah, thank you, Bob. For- uh, thank you. The listeners, um, this is what we thought, the recent thing he basically mentioned in Gaza. And this is something we know we don't get in, we don't get the news from the media. I mean, he was there, he told us about the situation they are going through. And this is so, I mean, this thing I don't understand, the stumbles double standard, which the, and the listeners, about this double standard, we're going to carry on with that uh, with our next guest, which is Tagreet al Khudri. Um, Dilisa, she, uh, she was born and raised in Gaza City and before moving to the Netherlands. Al Khudji was the New York Times correspondent in Gaza from 2001 to 2009, an analyst for the International Crisis Group, and a TV reporter for Al Hayat LBC. Dilisa, she covered uh, the Palestinian Civil War in 2007 and the war on Gaza in 2008 and 2009, and she's also trained journalist in Palestine and Sudan. Uh, Al Khudri worked for eight years as a senior editor of, of a chronicle on the Middle East and North Africa, and currently she is a freelance media consultant, media trainer, and analyst. And uh, she studied at the American University in Cairo and the US. Um, Mrs. Taghrid Al Khudri, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you, and welcome to the wake for show. Assalamu
10: alaikum.
0: Um, Mrs. Dakhir al-Khudri, you were born in Gaza. Um, first of all, our condolences. The war which is happening, is happening in Gaza is very horrible and it's very sad. And uh, I am one of those people who have stopped watching the news. The reason is that um, if I compare the international uh, response uh, during the war in Ukraine with the war <laughs> and right now happening in Gaza, I see a huge double standard maybe i'm wrong but i just want to know you thought about that well
10: no, definitely huge huge and it, it's really i have no clue how they are not embarrassed with covering it that way
5: huh.
10: giving and, and also when it comes to uh, western power and and dealing with the issue for example you know like uh, if you go to the headlines when it comes to ukraine the word they use the word war crimes they use the word resistance Uh, and then when it comes to palestine you know like gaza uh, resistance is referred as a terrorist and 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 there is no mention of uh, you know uh, war crimes you know Mm. international court of justice took place are they analyzing are i'm talking about the mainstream media are they pushing hard are they do they keep talking about it and 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 there is a huge, a huge like when it comes to Ukraine. Remember when uh, like the bombing of hospitals, uh, is terrorism, war crimes. They Gaza, cool. they lit it, they watch it, they watch it live, and and, and it is devastating uh, to to see and and to observe this double standard. We live in Europe, and and. And it's extremely painful for someone like me, being you know mm. from Gaza. You know, you have all you know your families, your neighbors, your neighborhoods are you know like uh, being uh, being vanished. You know, I it's mean so like sad. it's a hellish reality for Gaza now, and uh, and it it is devastating, and it's very disturbing when we compare the coverage or how uh, policymakers and the uh, and there was deal with gaza versus ukraine
1: painful indeed um, so my question is based on your experience how does the media coverage of gaza and ukraine differ and do you think this influences international aid and attention
10: i mean uh, f- from day 1 i was really like very shocked at the media uh. Uh, I, i'm talking about uh, the western mainstream media uh, you remember uh for like for a long long time they did not never they never uh aware their audience that Israel is not allowing us as Western mainstream media sending our international correspondents into Gaza. So at the beginning they relied of course you have Palestinian uh journalists working for them that they were so afraid that they went to the south, mm-hmm. so Gaza City was left alone, and the north of Gaza stripped without any presence of either Palestinian journalists or um, or international journalists. Nobody was there, and they did not notify their audience that this is the status. This is we don't have people. We are relying on images coming from cameramen. Of people who are of journalists, cameramen who are in uh, in hospitals. So uh, and and then you have the international mainstream media correspondent being based in Tel Aviv or uh, Jerusalem, like you know. So they are not only they are covering the Israeli narrative, but they are also living it. Mm. So when it comes to Gaza, it's not equal because. When, when it comes to Israeli uh, narrative, they are covering it with colors, with the human stories, that when it comes to Gaza, it's only covered as a news item. And, uh, and, and, and that was for a long time, and they, you know, they, they never recognize it. They never uh, admitted it to their uh, audience that you know Israel is not letting us in. Our correspondents, we force them now to leave Gaza, even the South now many of them the the palestinian correspondent they left because they fear their lives and also these uh, mainstream media they don't want to pay a hell of insurance if something you know happened to their correspondent that is what is happening and 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 really like uh, and, and and it took them a while to cover gaza uh, from as a, as you said the humanitarian aspect mm. at the beginning it was only focused on hamas 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 But the human story, it took them a while to focus on the civilian uh, population, uh, the children being killed, the the women being killed, the elderly. Those people who are not uh, even fighting, you know, because the majority of uh, what Israel killed are civilians. They have nothing. Those houses now, at the beginning of the war, they were bombing houses. What are they doing now? They are burning houses, Mm. which means they are burning memories identities of the place and like someone like me i didn't bring my photo album you know like so now i'm thinking oh my god everything is gonna go vanish so so they are it is a colonial settler uh, mentality that is what we are uh, what we are seeing and and they are uh, uh, committing crimes after crimes after crimes against
0: civilians of Gaza um, i mean um, what you just said is so sad uh, uh, the only thing uh, we can say is that of course our hearts go to, uh, goes out f- to all of those who are suffering and of course we pray w- uh, for, th- for them as well we pray for your family as well um, uh, i just want to know that uh, y- i mean i don't know why this is happening, why they are covering, not the truth? Is it because they are afraid of... We have social media, right? we living in a social media world.
10: Yes, uh, and you know what? I, I, I have to say, thanks uh-huh. to the social media. Uh-huh. Thanks to the social media that is pushing this mainstream media to cover now the story. Because because of the social media, the images, imagine Palestinians on the ground. Uh-huh. They are covering their the uh, the catastrophe that is the war crimes that are committing you know like by israel against them so it's 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 found by people like me like you like anyone because everybody has the phone and thanks to the social media despite the cut by israel they managed to find a way to bring it out to the world so these images They were like kind of, uh, it was like a pressure on the social media, on on, on the social, uh, on the mainstream media to cover it, you know. Look at what's happening. Look at the reality. Look at these people paying a heavy price, a hellish price. So thanks to the social media, the story of Gaza made it out to the world. And that's why all of a sudden, the young generation worldwide hmm. is exposed to what's happening. Exactly. And that's why you see a shift among, you know, European young generation, American young generation, and, and, and so and so on, and, and the world, you know, and, 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 and yeah, I mean, like, it is, you know, really, uh, it's, there is a big difference between uh, the time before social media and the time here. Uh, remember before, you know, nobody. Uh, you know how many wars. You know uh, uh, what happened to Gaza before. Many, like many people, lost life, but there, it wasn't like this. It, it's immense, and the exposure is really strong. And thanks to many people, Palestinians on the ground, who are uh, managing to 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 bring it to the world. And uh, just one last question,
0: because you have trained many journalists in Palestine as well, and we have unfortunately heard that many brave journalists have lost their life as well. Did you know a few of them?
5: Yes,
10: yes, of course. Yes, yes, I know. Uh, you know, uh, thanks to, uh, I have to say thanks to Al-Jazeera, hmm. because it's from the beginning of the war you have Wa'il al
5: Covering mm, yes. from
10: Gaza, mm. from Gaza City, he was the only one covering it from Gaza City as a, a reporter, and 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 now we have younger, you mm. know, uh, um, uh, journalists covering it. So uh, uh, thanks to Al Jazeera that we can see what's happening, like exactly. live. I would say. And, uh, you know, really, like, I, I am, like, we, we are lucky that we, are, we have Al Jazeera English that we can watch from here, whether in London, whether in Amsterdam, anywhere in the world. And and without them, my God, my God, imagine, without, without this uh, outlet, we could have been, like, you know, really, really, like, not recognizing what's happening on the ground. So... You know what happened to wael al-Dahdu, how many family members, including so his sad. son, you know, like being killed, who was a reporter working with him, next to him, like he was training him. Like, imagine, you know, like when you are a father training your son to be, to take your place, and then your son is killed by Israel. This is really, like, terrible. And also the cameraman of Al Jazeera, mm-hmm. uh, Samir uh, Abu Da'a, uh, you know, killed. You know, like these people, you know, we worked, I remember we worked in the same building and uh, we share lots of memories uh, of the place. And uh, yeah, I mean, like um, this is really like cruel, Uh, like war crimes committing, you know, not only uh, against journalists, but also uh, you have, um, uh, like, of course, we mentioned the civilians, but also doctors and nurses, who are helping, and these are the heroes, you know, like people who are working Uh, from the medical sector at this time. I mean, respect to them, but they are paying a a hellish price as well. Uh, You you see them, you know, being in a hospital and then, you know, family members will come as injured or as uh, martyrs, and and this is really uh, devastating, and uh, let alone, you know, they killed everything when it comes to a place when it comes to the education system, when it comes to you know like the court, the court, they the Israeli the Israeli are stationed inside the court headquarters, mm. the court where people get mm. married, register if you are married, born, uh, if you have a case, if you have any cases, legal cases, they stationed there. After they took even pictures, group photos oh, in, so and the moment, and then after, and selfies and everything, and then. And then they destroyed it all. There was nothing that says there is any uh, sign of resistance, you know there, but they demolished it because that's what they are that their intent is to kill the place to make it dead. but nothing is uh, that will it, nothing will bring it to life but uh, but it will, it will because uh, uh, someone just left Gaza through Cairo. And, and he said, you know, like, uh, after 123 days of war, yes, and he said, you know, I'm going back, I'm going back. But he is, like, a bit relieved. because He's really, like, an older man. And his daughter managed to bring him out. But he's, like, I just spoke to him this morning. And he said, Tahrir, I want to go back. Mm. I want to go back, you know. I, I, I He's not seeking any... Uh, like leaving the place for forever you know and and this is like this is what Israeli policies are doing, you know, despite their intent of calling the place, there is a strong will among many Palestinians of going back of rebuilding the place
0: this is what we pray for, uh, hope for as well that you can return to your home and we pray for you, for your family members, for all Palestinian. Um, this is what the Hol- His Holiness has also instructed us to do so we will pray for you um, thank you for joining the break for sure I wish you, you all so the best much. and uh, if, you, if you want you can uh, turn in tomorrow as we will discuss about Gaza as well and especially about those brave doctors you just mentioned uh, how doctors in Gaza pre so you can join tomorrow as well but thank you for joining today I wish you all the best thank you thank you guys
10: thank you good luck with
0: everything thank bye you. bye you too bye. thank you Dear listeners, this is the end of the show. You just listened to al rodri who was from Gaza. It's very sad what we had. Our prayers are going out to those people who are uh, uh, going through these crisis. May Allah be the helper. And if, thank you for you for joining today. If you want to learn more from, about Islam, you can stay tuned with the Voice of some radio or you can turn on tomorrow in the same time as we will start uh, discuss school burning, uh, studying, praying, or how doctors in Gaza persevere.